started a new series uh, entitled Ready for His Return. And uh, that will, First uh, and Second Thessalonians will be uh, our text uh, for this uh, series. All that I was really able to do last uh, Sunday, uh, well, the one before that, because we had Brother Gary last Sunday, was to uh, give you the introduction to the series. We learned of the godly leadership of this young church in Paul, Silvanus, and Timotheus, how that they were prayerful, how that they were bold preachers, how that they were pure and did not profit from the church, and how that they were pleasant, pleasant leaders that they were. I say it again, I covet your prayers that I, as well as the current and future leadership team of this church, that we be so. That we be so. And oh, how every pastor and how every church need men like Sylvanus, like Timotheus, in the burdens of the ministry. Men that are submissive, not superior-minded. Men that are supportive, not a supplanter. A solution to the problem rather than the cause of the problem. Caring, not critical. Sensitive rather than insensitive. Or dismissive. Cooperative rather than uncooperative or divisive. We then looked at the congregation of this young church, their spiritual standing, that they were in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. They were recipients of God's grace and peace. We also learned not only of their spiritual standing, but their spiritual service in their work of faith, their labor of love, and their patience and hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning we will continue with the series, in particular, this matter of the doctrine of election. The doctrine of election. Would you stand with me, please? First Thessalonians. We're going to read from verses 1 to 4. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. Verse 4. Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. Father, thank you once again for your word. Thank you for preserving it uh, for this even in our time. Plenty have attempted 
to destroy it. But here we are, Father, we're holding it in our hands. Many of us have two or three Bibles even in our homes. We have the full canon of Scripture right before us that we can see, we can know, we can learn about you. Father, we realize that as we hold our Bibles in our hands, there are places in the world today that are not able to do and have even one. Some would have a page or two smuggled through just so that they can read of your word. Oh, how I pray, Father, that we would learn to really love your word and more importantly, apply it into our lives. Thank you for this wonderful privilege to preach your word. And Father, I pray once again, oh God, I pray, give unction from above. And I pray that your will and way be accomplished even now. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, I had a choice to make this morning. Do I gloss over this verse and make some excuse that this is a very hard doctrine? And by the way, it is. Do I gloss it over and say some generic, non-committal, in-passing token comment so as not to upset anyone? Or do we actually cover it on the basis of what the scripture says? I prayerfully chose to cover it and not gloss over it, beloved. Not my desire to upset you or anyone but to be faithful to the Lord and his word. Allow me, however, to please premise my preaching more like a Bible study this morning to say that this church, Calvary Baptist Church, who it's about to celebrate its 50th anniversary, has always upheld and teaches item 16 of its doctrinal statement on hyper-Calvinism. That the Lord Jesus Christ died as a propitiatory sacrifice for the saints, for the sins of the whole world. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. And this church does not embrace any position which negates or eliminates human responsibility in either the proclamation or the reception of of the gospel message. This church believes and will continue to believe that indeed the saved are the elect of God, chosen in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world. However, God's sovereignty in choosing does not negate man's freedom to choose and the responsibility to choose and are all invited genuinely to believe and to be saved Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, John 3, 16. I understand that our subject today is controversial, to say the least. There are differing views on the doctrine of election, which sadly has created some division amongst churches, and we're not immune to this division. 
This is not new, of course, as there has always been divisions among Baptists on the issue of Calvinism. The early Baptists in England were divided into the general Baptists and the particular Baptists. Depending on how they viewed Christ's atonement, whether it was for all men, that's general, or only for the elect, that's particular. There's nothing new under the sun, the Bible says. But again, in love, I say, our church need not defend its position. This is what this church believes, and it will not bend to any or for anyone other than the Lord Jesus, who is the head of this church. We, as a congregation of believers here, perhaps do not. I will not always agree on everything, but perhaps we can agree on many more other things for Christ, his cause, and his glory. Agree to disagree graciously and in the spirit of humility. I pray that we would not let anything be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than ourselves. Let us not look not every man on his own things only, but every man also on the things of others. And that we would let this mind, this mindset, is the idea there, be in us, which was also in Christ Jesus. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 to 5. I also understand that there are many prominent Bible teachers that may be of Calvinistic persuasion that you listen to or watch to, like John MacArthur, John Piper, and that may be of Armenian persuasion and still others who are into economicalism like Rick Warren, E.C. Believism, E.C. Prayerism, or Universalism. I also accept and respect that every man is entitled to stand on his own doctrine. But in this church, and as the current pastor in office, the under-shepherd, the watchman, the protector of the flock that my pastorate demands. I do not endorse or sanction Calvinism, Arminianism, Economicalism, Universalism, and any other ism for that matter. What I endorse without apology is the proper exegesis of scriptures and rightly dividing the word of truth without any need to be labeled as a Calvinist or an Arminian, but rather a faithful follower of Christ and his doctrine. All that said, let's now consider verse 4. Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election 
of God. Without a doubt, election is a major New Testament doctrine. Elect, elected, and election appears some 23 times in the New Testament. Elect is the word ekloge, which is also translated chosen. Elect is one of the chief terms for the saved. It is a synonym for salvation. The saved are the elect. But contrary to common understanding, however, the Bible's emphasis in the doctrine of election is really not the choice, but the security of the believer. It's really not the choice, but the security of the believer. The doctrine of election is intended to be an encouragement to every born-again child of God. Somebody said, and I quote, Election is not something to puzzle over and be confused about and endlessly debate. It is something to be instructed by, edified by, comforted by, encouraged by, established by, strengthened by, and challenged by, end of quote. Note firstly that verse 4 follows a semicolon in verse 3. Again, understand that in the original manuscripts, there were no chapters and there were no verses. Therefore, this verse 4 is related to the thoughts discussed in verse 3. Essentially, the Apostle Paul is saying here that he, or shall we say they, including Silvanus and Timotheus, knew that the Thessalonians' election of God, that means these beloved brethren in Salonica were for real. They were genuine believers. Their professions, their performance matched their possession. Now, how would they have known that? And this is the part, beloved, that I believe many fall prey to the erroneous teaching of this wonderful and comforting doctrine of election. We must understand that the doctrine of the sovereign will of God and man's free will to choose are both doctrines, both teachings that are found in God's holy word, and as such, they are there for us to both believe in. Again and again, man's propensity and tendency just to pick out some of what he thinks is right, taken independently from the whole counsel of God, uh, gets him undone, and in most cases, in error. To us, these seemingly contradicting doctrines are a mystery, but to an omniscient God, it is not. To us, these doctrines are irreconcilable, but to the omnipotent Lord, it is not. However, I believe for man to attempt to reconcile and harmonize them with our finite, uh, imperfect, corrupted mind and body born into this fallen world as sons of Adam, it will be a futile exercise. The fact is, God in his sovereign will chose and knew before the foundation of the world, Ephesians 1.4, who to save and who will be saved, and he ought not to be questioned by no one about his sovereign will and choice. His choice, however, does not mean that he chose some to be saved and he so chose some to be damned. That is man reading into and forcing it into the text. 
His offer is salvation is genuinely available to all. And if man is to be damned into hell, it will be because of his unbelief and rejection of God's offer of salvation and not because God elected him to damnation. The fact is none of us knew when we were elected and uh, elected of, and by God before we got saved. We had to believe and chose to believe in faith that the Lord Jesus died on the cross on our behalf to save us from the judgment to come. None of you knew, knew about election before you got saved. You just believed. You accepted it as truth. And you saw yourself in front of a holy, righteous God, and you are hopeless. We chose to believe in salvation by grace. Grace, that's his initiative. His doing. His path. His sovereign choice to give. No one forced him to do it. We, on the other hand, chose to believe in salvation by grace through faith. Now that's our path. Faith not works, but faith in God and what he said uh, in his word. Not of works, but faith in God. Our choice. No one forced us to believe the Lord Jesus. We did it on our God-given conscience and freedom to choose to either accept or reject, to either believe or reject his word. All but one would say that you and I cannot believe in Christ because we are dead in trespasses and sin and as such we cannot choose to believe unto salvation because of our fallen condition. Our will is in bondage. But the problem in this concept of inability to believe because we are dead due to sin and that our will is in bondage, that is forced into the salvation text when it does not actually say that. Also, if we go with this concept of being dead, then it follows that a dead man cannot reject as much as he can accept the gospel. He is dead. Going on that argument. But the one would say that a dead man can reject the gospel. Oh, but he cannot accept it. Hmm. Now I believe and scriptures back it up. Man as a sinner is totally depraved. In that he is corrupt, unrighteous, and that there is no good in him that is and will ever be acceptable to God to merit his salvation. Okay. But to then add that man... A sinner is unable to believe and that his will is in bondage and he cannot accept or reject the gospel when it is preached or taught to him is an addition to the gospel text. Also, those who believe and would take this verse 4 to mean unconditional election entirely based on the sovereign choice and will of God are doing disservice to the inspired word of God, I believe. The problem with those uh, uh, who believe in unconditional election is they take elect according to foreknowledge, prognosis in the original. Let's not forget the word. Uh, to mean for will or foreordain or even predestinate. 
They would redefine the omniscience of God to know ahead of time what will happen to a sinner when confronted by the gospel. Instead, they would say, God foreordained who will believe and who will not believe. And somehow, if man, a sinner, uh, who will believe not God's or reject God's offer of salvation that God is no longer the sovereign God that he is, or he is now less of a God because man can thwart his will. Again, the gospel text just do not say that. They read that into the text that they use. Predestination is indeed a rightful biblical doctrine, but to make it mean or equate as being one and the same as foreknowledge is, to for, uh, is not rightly dividing the word of truth. The fact is to foreknow and then to predestinate are two aspects in the salvation of man clearly taught in the Bible. Romans 8, chapter, 20, chapter 8, verses 29 to 33. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, listen, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he also called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. That's your salvation day. Election teaches us that God foreknew the redeemed and planned and planned or predestined their lives accordingly. But it doesn't teach that God predecided which sinners he will save and which sinners he will not save. Furthermore, this doctrinal teaching that faith is a work is unreasonable. Salvation is likened in scripture to receiving a gift. Let me put it this way. And hopefully you and I can resonate with this. Let me be personal a little bit here. Now some of you have been very generous to me. Personally and you have given me gifts from time to time. They came in various forms. Texts. Emails. Phone calls of encouraging words. Uh, food. Gift cards. Books. Neckties. Money. Bookmarks etc., etc. Clearly, I was encouraged and I'm thankful for those gifts. I accepted them with a heart full of praise to the Lord through you. Through you. Now, let me ask you, though. With your gifts, do I have anything to boast of, of those gifts that you gave me? No. Now, say, if I wrong you, and you graciously and mercifully forgiven me, mercifully forgiven me of what I have done to you, and I have accepted your forgiveness. Have I done anything that I could boast of? No. Let's say that I'm drowning, and somebody rescued me, and I took his hand, reached out to me. Have I had anything or some part? In my rescue from drowning. No. 
And so it is when the sinner hears that Christ loves him and died for him and rose from the dead and offers his eternal salvation and the sinner joyfully, thankfully receives that great gift of salvation in faith that is not works and the sinner has nothing to boast of or be boastful about it. An erroneous teaching of election says that grace means man cannot do anything, cannot even believe, because otherwise grace would no longer be grace. And the sinner had a part in his salvation and would have something to boast of. First of all, this is unscriptural, because the Bible plainly says that faith and believing are not works. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace are ye saved through faith, uh, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, and not of works, lest any man should boast. In the context of salvation, in the context of salvation, in the context of salvation, it is not faith which is the gift of God. It is salvation that is the gift. Salvation is by grace through faith. Uh, uh, faith is the hand that reaches out and accepts the gift of God. Faith is not works. Romans chapter 4 verses 2 to 5. For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Listen, Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward, not reckoned of grace, but of death. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. This is what Gary was saying to all of us last Sunday. We see plainly that faith is the opposite of works. Therefore, to suggest and or to conclude that a sinner who chose to believe the gospel in faith performs some work in his salvation is again not rightly dividing the word of truth. Now I understand that this is now becoming laborious and heavy going. But please stay focused and bear with me. The doctrine of election is very important doctrine. And one, if misunderstood or taught incorrectly, distorts the sovereign nature of our God. I would now like to offer some proof texts that the proponents of unconditional election use to justify their position. So stay and keep up with me, please. I'm trying my best here, beloved, to equip you so that you can contend for the faith and not be misled into error. Now turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 13, verse 48. Acts chapter 13, here in verse 48. Acts 13, 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And listen, and as many as were ordained to eternal life, believe. As many as were ordained into eternal life, believe. 
Now, one would conclude that here is a plain Bible verse that proves that those who believe were only those who were ordained to believe. The problem is that thought or that concept of sovereignly ordained is added to what is the verse actually stating. And it is read into the verse to make it say, as many as were sovereignly or arbitrarily elected, believe. The thought, okay? Not just the, not the words. The truth is, there is nothing in this verse to require or warrant such an interpretation. Why? Back up to verse 46. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you. But seeing you put it from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. Now look at me when I say this. Clearly and firstly, we see here that salvation is associated with man's response to the gospel. The gospel demands a response. Okay? Secondly, according to the plain teaching of this verse, these Jews were judged unworthy of everlasting life because they put off, or in other words, they rejected uh, the word of God spoken to them. And because they have done that, Paul and Barnabas turned to the Gentiles. These unbelieving Jews were judged unworthy of everlasting life or not part of the elect or that they were sovereignly elected to reprobation. No, no, and no. They simply refused to believe and rejected the everlasting life offered to them. Now turn your Bibles to John chapter 6 verse 37 please. John chapter 6 verse 37. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. This is yet another favorite proof text about unconditional election. And for those of you who are in the know, the doctrine of irresistible grace as well. This verse does not say that God has sovereignly pre-chosen only some for salvation uh, and that it is only those pre-chosen ones that are given to Christ will actually come to Christ. One must read all of that into the text. Uh, it simply said that the Father gives, that, the, who, that, that, that all that the Father gives will come to Christ. The question is, who is it that the Father gives to Jesus? That's a valid question. The answer, as always, is found in the context. Context, context. Context. Drop down to verse 40. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Again, 
What we see is that the will of God is that each and every sinner that believes on Christ be saved. We know, of course, that not everyone will. But the point is, everyone can be saved. Now notice the second part of the verse. And him that cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. Again, those who will come are received, not rejected by God. Now stay with me here. Verse 44 now. No man can come to me except the Father which had sent me. Draw him and I will raise him up at the last day. So the proponents of unconditional election would say, hey, you're talking about context, it's mentioned twice in verse 37 and here in verse 44. So there's a sounding argument, right? It's believable uh, to say that. Okay, now, uh, turn to, uh, <clears throat> let me back up a little bit. The assertion uh, here is that only those who have been unconditionally elected are the only ones that will be raised up in the last day. Because there's two verses that mention it. But what's the basic biblical uh, hermeneutics rule? Basic Bible interpretation. Scripture should interpret another scripture. John 12, 32, please. John chapter 12, verse 32. <clears throat> you cannot just yank a verse or two and form a doctrine on that. John 12, 32. Who is speaking here? If you have a red letter edition Bible, it will be the Lord. And it is the Lord. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, what does it say? I will draw all men unto me. This is exactly what I was alluding to earlier. I don't believe these things can be properly reconciled in this present world. We should simply let them stand and not to force them to perfectly form a five-letter systematic theology just to force the persuasion. And I'm not just talking of Calvinism, I'm talking of Arminianism as well. Because they also have their five point of Arminianism. The truth is, beloved, God truly elects and man truly chooses to believe. God elects and yet every man is urged to be saved and every man can be saved. But not everyone will, but the Lord foreknew who will. God elects and yet sent his son to die for the whole world. Uh, God elects and yet does not want any sinner to perish. Second Peter chapter 3 verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. As some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us what? Not willing, not willing, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. All these teachings are equally true and scriptural. So let them all stand and do not try to reconcile that which the Bible does not reconcile, at least not in this present world. All these teachings are equally true. And so my beloved brethren, let me now pull all of these thoughts together. 
Election is not the doctrine that God chose some sinners for salvation and for them only Christ died and only that they can be saved. Election, which from the very word itself is God's choice. But to say that it has nothing to do with his foreknowledge and who will believe does not always compare with the scripture, especially 1 Peter 1-2. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father through sanctification of the Spirit and unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. To say that only the elected are irresistibly drawn and given faith as a gift and that the non-elect are left in their sins and there is absolutely nothing that they can do to be saved uh, uh, is a slander on God's character. I accept that we do not know everything there is to know about election and we cannot comprehend all of its details. But what we know is revealed in scripture. And by what we know, that the love of God and the salvation of God is for the whole world. God has ordained through what we now know as the Great Commission that the gospel be preached to all men. That those who believe on Christ will be saved. The very sense, the very verse, I should say, in that wall. Is part of the central passage of scripture about salvation. It is one of the main passages of salvation or the doctrine of soteriology in the entire Bible. John chapter 3, uh, we say uh, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him, whosoever believeth in him, should not perish but have everlasting life. And then it says, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him him might be saved. Is there anything clearer than that? He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. John chapter 3 verses 16 to 18, the one of the main major doctrines, uh, passage of soteriology. God loved the world. And sent his son to save the world. The term world here is mentioned three times in the passage. And it is never used uh, for the elect only. It refers to the whole world of lost sinners. God loved them all. All of them. And gave his only begotten son to save those who will believe. If I am in the world then. Now that I am in the world today. And until the trump of God sounds. All that he allowed to be born on this earth are loved by God. And salvation was provided for me and for the rest of humanity. That I, uh, uh, that they can all be saved. We know of course that not all will be saved, but all can be saved. Any sinner in the world can believe and be saved. That is God's plan. Salvation is a whosoever offer. It, God is not playing games. God is not playing games. Whosoever does not mean whosoever of the elect. Whosoever is not just for the irresistibly drawn. When the Bible says that we are elect according to the foreknowledge of God. 1 Peter 1, 2. It is referring to God's foreknowledge of those who will believe. That much is clear in the scripture. Amen. I concede. Oh, I concede. That God's election can mean more than this. And it may well be. But we are not told what it means at this time. If that was so or his desire, he would have inspired to be written in his word. Election is to be loved of God. Notice our text again. Knowing brethren. 
beloved of God. Your election of or by God. The elect are the objects of God's love. Eternal love. Divine election is a love story. It is the love of the creator for his fallen creatures. The love of a father to his wayward children. The love of a shepherd to his lost sheep. A right understanding of the election is a great comfort to the believer. How unspeakable or wonderful is to know that God has loved me and foreknown me. First Peter 1 Peter 1-2 planned and prepared my salvation. Fashioned me in the womb. Psalm 139. Turn there please. Psalm 139. Verse 13 and 16. Psalm 139. Verse 13 and 16. To the old covenant. For thou hast possessed my reins. Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee, when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Notice, notice and notice, thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. There's your foreknowledge. And in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned. That's your predestination, when as yet there was none of them. Election is to be drawn and enlightened and convicted by the His Spirit. Elect through sanctification of the Spirit. First Peter 1 2 and washed by the blood of Christ unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Again First Peter 1 2 and be sealed adopted, justified to be made king and a priest and joint heir with Jesus Christ. Oh what an amazing doctrine election is. The right understanding of it. And lastly, as we close, back in our text, election can be known. Election can be known. First Thessalonians chapter one, verse four. Knowing your election of God. The great emphasis in this passage is that God's elect are those who receive Christ and are converted and show clear evidence thereof in their lives. Every verse of the passage emphasizes this, and we will cover the rest of these in the coming days. Notice verse 3. The elect are those who have the work of faith, the labor of love, and the patience of hope. Verse 5. The elect are those to whom the gospel comes not in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance. Go to verse 6. The elect are those who receive the word and become followers of Christ with joy even in much affliction. Verse 7. The elect are those who are examples to other believers. Verse 8. The elect are those whose faith is spread abroad. Verses 9 to 10. The elect are those who turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven. Election means to be loved by God and not to be damned by God. Oh, my dear flock. Know the truth of your election. And I promise you, 
you will never be the same person again. Know your election of God. And I promise you, you will have the full assurance and confidence that you are loved by God and you will be with him forever and ever. Perhaps you're here. Pastor Manny, I don't understand anything and everything that you just said. I don't really understand. I thought election is just the word for when we do and elect our officials every four years. I'd like to know more about election. I'd like to know more about this verse. If that is you. Oh, if that is you listening and watching to me right now. Give us the opportunity to tell you from the Bible what it is to be biblically elected of God. I won't tell you my opinion. I won't tell you about the five points of Calvinism and Arminianism. I will tell you what the Bible says. If that is you, would you come and approach us? Would you come and write to me? Would you come and send me an email so that I could, at least through email or even a phone call, tell you what it is and how it is to be elected by God? A wonderful doctrine. A comforting doctrine if it is understood and taught rightfully. Let's have our heads bowed. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you that we have your word. And Father, we don't have to uh, identify ourselves into a a certain group uh, that we don't have to put you in a box. Uh, Father, that you are indeed the sovereign God. Uh, You can choose and you can will who to be saved and no one ought to question you for that. And how thankful we are, Father, that you have given us the conscience, that you have given us the freedom to choose, uh, to uh, reject uh, and accept you as our Savior, that if we do reject your genuine offer of salvation, that it will be on us not because you have reprobated us or damned us into hell, that you have not chosen any man uh, to allow to exist on this your earth, to be raised, to grow up, uh, and then only to be destined to hell. Oh, Father, that is so contrary to your attribute and your character. Indeed, you are sovereign, but your sovereignty doesn't contradict your love. It doesn't contradict your mercy. It doesn't contradict your grace. And so, Father, I pray that today that we be a people that indeed thankful for our election, that we would be comforted by our election, knowing that one day, because of what you have done and what you have elected us to be, that we would be conformed to the image of your Son and be joint heirs with him. What a comforting, wonderful doctrine it is to know about your election. And I pray for those that perhaps do not understand a word or two or any thought about this. May they come. May they desire to know. 
And I pray, Lord, that they would desire to receive the gift of salvation. We ask all of these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn your hymnals, please, to hymn number.